Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. Um, you know, I know George just prayed for me. Thank you. If you're a visitor this morning, my name's David Cannon. Uh, my, my family and I, my wife Stephanie and our daughter Shiloh and Afton, we've been at this church for uh, almost three years. It'll be, I guess, three years uh, on Easter. Um, and uh, I'm just, we are so thankful for this, for this church. Uh, this church has been such a blessing to us. Um, uh, one of the things that's such a huge blessing to us is every Sunday, it doesn't matter who's in the pulpit, um, it's, it's not a topical sermon, it's not thoughts, it's scripture. Uh, and it's a dive into scripture. And, and I come away every Sunday with something that I've never heard before about God, about God's word, about uh, the Christian life, and, and we are so thankful for that. Um, having said that, uh, this is more of a topical sermon. <laughs> so um, uh, this is something I, I was kind of in some mental anguish uh, the last few weeks. I kept going back and forth. Should I, should I continue? Uh, last year, I, I, I preached on uh, why we do missions, another topical sermon, my apologies. Um, and so I, I had planned on, you know, if I got the chance to get back up here, looking at what is missions. Uh, that's something that I'm, I'm passionate about, um, something that <laughs> causes me more uh, mental agony. Um, but, but I've been going back and forth. Should I, should I you know, just get into, you know, a, a, a chunk of scripture uh, or should I go with this more topical sermon? And I really feel like I, I stuck with the topical sermon for, for one reason. Um, we are a young church. We are a growing church. Um, we are a church that just through a lot of conversations I've had with a lot of y'all has an interest in really being a missional church involved in missions. And so I think at the beginning, you know, it's like, it's like when you have a toddler and you're trying to get them to like broccoli. And if they can just like broccoli when they're two, when they're 80, they'll probably still like broccoli. And, and they'll, they'll receive some health benefits from eating that over like my friend Keith, who just eats nothing but Reese's Pieces for his whole diet. There's benefits to that. Okay, so we as a young church have this really unique opportunity um, to engage in missions, but to start off in healthy missions, to start off in biblical missions. And we're going to get into that in just a minute as to, as to what I believe that is uh, based on what we see in Scripture. Um, the word missions, and if, if y'all go ahead and do this for me, we're going to be, just in case you get lost, we're going to be in two different pieces of Scripture. We're going to be in, in 28s, both of them. So Matthew 28, the last book of Matthew, we're going to be there for just a minute. And then we're going to be in uh, Acts 28, the last chapter of Acts, for a few minutes. We're going to camp out there a little bit. Uh, Y'all can feel free and go ahead and turn to that while I'm blabbing on up here. Um, The word missions, if if we're wanting to find biblical missions, doing missions, if if God said something about it, and if he's saying there's an objective reality about fill in the blank, whatever the topic is or whatever the, the thought is or the Christian practice is, we need to know what that objective idea is that he gave us or those commands that he gave us and try to follow his blueprint for things. We know that if we follow God's design on things, they tend to work out a little better. I'm not saying you're going to have like worldly peace in this life, or you're going to have prosperity, or you're going to be healthy. 
um, you're going to have money. I'm not saying any of that. But in general, when you follow God's designs for things, um, things tend to work out better for his glory and for the people of, uh, you know, in your life, those around you. Um, so when we're looking at Scripture, what is missions? You're not going to find that word anywhere in Scripture, okay? It's not there. So missions is a word that was first used in the late 1500s by the Jesuits, uh, a, a band of essentially missionaries. And they use this word to describe those who were sent. And it's looking at scripture, looking at what Jesus did with his disciples, looking at what Paul did with his life, looking at what, at what the other disciples did. What did these people do? That's the word missions. That's what that word was invented to describe. Okay? So when we say missions, what we need to ask ourselves as a church is... Does the, does the Bible ultimately influence how we define and subsequently engage in missions, or do we let cultural trends and personal passions dictate that to us? And we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit deeper in just a minute. Um, now, this might seem like semantics at the onset. You might say, I still don't really understand why it's really important. Uh, you know, if we just take the, uh, what is it, Genesis... Uh, 12, where Abraham is told by God to leave his people and go to a new land and a new people, and there's this real kind of general just be a blessing command that God gives Abraham. Um, why is this word mission so, to, so important? Why do we really need to define it and kind of put guardrails around it? Um, and the reason I think it's so important is because of, of one simple thing, and that's mission creep. Okay, so I'm not talking about missions. I'm talking about when you have a goal and you have something in mind and you're shooting for that, when other things start coming into the picture, if you start running in every different direction of every need you see and every problem that arises, you're going to find yourself creeping away from that laser focus that's in front of you and getting distracted. And some of those distractions might be good and God-ordained and necessary, and some of those distractions might be to absolutely get you off the rails. And so again, I think as a young church who's interested in engaging in missions, if we can now together unite and say, okay, if we're going to do missions, this is what we're going for as a church based on scripture, I think that could be an amazing thing. Um, let's read Matthew. Y'all know this already, but I want us to look at it. Uh, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, if you're there already, um, and I am not, so give me just a second. There we go. Okay. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, last words, I would say, are can be important. If you would agree with me there, uh, sometimes last words are, are ridiculous and silly and memorable. Sometimes last words are a very important command like what Jesus gives us here. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to share with you a couple that I thought were interesting. Uh, murderer, convicted murderer, a guy named James W. Rogers. Um, if, if you're a murderer, they always say your middle name or give you a middle initial. So, if, you know, it's like when you're in trouble with your mom. Um, this, this murderer, James W. Rogers, facing a firing squad... And he asked if he had a last request before he was shot. He said, 
bring me a bulletproof vest. Well, that was pretty good. Uh, Richard Mellon, who uh, his, his name is on uh, still some, some large financial institutions, he had been in a 70-year-long game of tag with his brother. And his last words was he called his, he was on his deathbed about to expire, and he called his brother over and could barely whisper in his ear, last tag, and then he died. And so his brother was it for the rest of his life. Um, one of my favorites, if you're a Tombstone fan, uh, Doc Holliday, when he was dying, he's in the sanatorium in Colorado Springs, and he's laying in the bed, and he looks down and he sees his bare feet, and he says, that's funny. And then he died. The reason why he said that is because he, he, was, a, he was dying of tuberculosis for several years, and knowing he was dying, he just engaged in all sorts of risky behavior. So he always said he knew he would die with his boots on, meaning out in the street in a gunfight. And so he thought it was funny that he was looking at his bare feet in a bed. Uh, William Seward, this one's a little better. He, he's a guy who bought Alaska or, or orchestrated that purchase as the Secretary of State. He gave one final command to his family on his deathbed, and he just said, love one another. That was what, it, what was important to him. Um, Jesus takes his final words, and he knows they're his final words to his disciples, and he, he gives them this. So I don't think that's any small thing. Um, what he says is brief, but there's a lot there. And so just quickly, what I want you guys to key in on is he says he's got the authority so he can say this to them. Go and make disciples of all nations, all people groups. We covered that last time if you were here. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is a big one uh, because this is not a baptism, it's over in five seconds. It's teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Well, what all did Jesus command us? A lot. A whole lot, in fact. Um, And and more even than meets the eye. Uh, We have everything in the New Testament that Jesus said that's quoted, but we know he said more than that. One of the things he was quoted on on saying is if you look throughout the Gospels and through Jesus' sermons, he references almost every single book in the Old Testament. And we can probably safely assume that even though it's not there, he probably referenced the others that we don't have record of him referencing as he spoke and as he preached. So learning that, if you think about this, if you were to get saved, become a believer, and then you have to learn all that Jesus commanded, does that sound like something that you're going to need to tackle by yourself? Absolutely not. Now that's part of it. But we were designed to come to faith and then enter into this, what we're in today. We need to be every single week. Just like I said, I'm I'm thankful for our church for the preaching every Sunday. Well, that's God's design. God designed, he's the one who invented preaching. We need it every single week. I do. Y'all do. You know we do. And, And that's just one of the facets of church. That's one of the things he's given to us as a gift that the body of believers and only the body can provide for us. And nobody else on the planet is any different from us in that respect. Um, So let's take that and let's look at, uh, just just to kind of get an example of this, let's take a look at Paul, who I think is the the greatest missionary who's ever lived, um, in Acts 28. Let's go there for just a minute, or actually a few minutes. Um, Acts 28, let's read. We're going to be 17 to the end of the chapter. Um, 
and this is, this is fascinating to me, but this is the very end of Acts. There's a whole lot that's happened. I'll, I'll try to fill you in there in just a second. But after three days, Paul called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty. The Romans wished to set Paul free because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation, against the Jews. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. These are the Jewish elders saying this. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to the sect, this Christianity, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made this one really controversial statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So what led to Paul's circumstances in Acts 28? And if it's not clear there from just reading that a uh, little block of scripture. Paul is under house arrest. So he gets to Rome. He's not thrown in prison. He gets to stay in a home. Um, he has a guard there that's with him, making sure he doesn't try to run off. Um, and it's, it's funny because if you look at verse 16, I think it was, or, or 15, um, he's there for three days. He's under house arrest for three days. He's just gotten to Rome. And it says after three days, oh, it's, it's in very beginning of 17, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. So it's kind of funny to think about, like, he was there for three days in the house. I don't know, what was he doing? Was he trying to wrap his head around the fact that here he is again under arrest? Was he fasting and praying and trying to come up with a strategy of how he was going to use this time, not knowing how long it would be? Uh, Maybe not thinking it was going to be two full years that he would be there waiting to be tried and then appeal to Caesar and get into Caesar's courts. Um, but after three days, Paul turns back into the apparent bulldog that he is, and he starts calling the Jewish leaders. He's using his Christian brothers to go out and gather these Jewish elders. There's all these synagogues across Rome, this huge city, and so all these elders are coming to hear Paul. Um, So Paul is making the most of this time. He's using this time to continue doing what Paul has always done. Uh, leading up to this, just to, to look at why he was there, um, Acts chapter 13, 
through chapter 20, Paul is engaging in what we call his three missionary journeys. He's, he's traveling all over the Mediterranean, uh, particularly the northern Mediterranean, the eastern Mediterranean. Um, it's interesting, uh, just going back to the whole concept of churches and churches being so important, um, he travels to places like Colossae. I'm sorry, he doesn't travel to Colossae. He travels to places like Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi. Now, why is that important? Well, because not long after he travels to those places, just within a few short years, he's writing letters to those churches. So he's gone and he's evangelized, he's preached. Those who accept that message are discipled. And then just seems like naturally, they just do this, what we're doing this morning. They gather together and they're encouraging one another and, and hearing the word, discussing the word, praying, doing the things that churches do. It's a very natural thing. And then he's writing letters back to them afterwards, encouraging them and correcting them um, as, to, as to what they should be doing. Um, so that's 13 through 20. So during that time, traveling as much as he traveled and doing as much as he did, he became both famous and infamous. He was famous among Christians. He was infamous, particularly among the Jews, who rejected his message. And it's important to understand, um, especially when we get to where Paul is, is sitting there with these men in, in chapter 28, in Acts 28. He's not viewing himself, uh, and I have to be careful how I say this, um, he's not viewing himself as a Christian, he views himself as, as a Jew, as one of God's people. And what I mean by that is he's not viewing himself as going down this path, I've been a Jew my whole life, and then suddenly I'm taking some crazy turn and following this different God, okay? He's saying, he's making the case, it says, through the law and through the prophets. He's going back to days of old and saying, this is why Jesus is the Messiah, and so he, Paul does not view himself as now separate from Judaism. He views himself 100% as God's man, as still a part of God's people. And I think that's important to understand when you're reading and learning anything about Paul, uh, because that's, that's such a core thing about who he is. But he made enemies among the Jews. And so what resulted is they got sick of what they viewed of his blasphemy. So what Paul was doing... A, few de- or a couple of decades before this, was tracking down these Christian preachers and having them executed. Why? Because he thought they were guilty of blasphemy. They were saying, worship this God. And he, that is not something that a Jew is going to take lightly. The first command, have no other gods before me, right? That's why it's so hard for these Jews here and even Jews today to receive this message. Because in order to do that, there's a thought that they might have to break that first commandment, the very first one in order to follow Jesus. Now, they don't because he truly is God. But that's a, that's a stumbling block. Um, so the Jews had him turned in. They actually wanted to kill him. They had him imprisoned. They wanted him to be tried. They wanted him to be executed. Um, but the Romans said, no, he's, he's not guilty of anything worthy of this. Um, go down to verse 20, just so we're clear on that. Uh, the hope of Israel. He says, it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. Uh, just so you're clear on that when you're reading that. He's talking about Jesus to them. Um, in verses 21 and 22, 
uh, the Jewish elders say that they have not heard any negative account about Paul, which is great. It gives him that audience with them. Uh, even though they've, it's further down, it says that they've heard negative things about this new sect, these Christians. They haven't heard any negative reports specifically about Paul, which allows him to have this audience and allows him to uh, reason with them, as, as Paul so loves doing. Um, after all these initial meetings, the Jewish leaders decided to give Paul kind of, a, kind of a last chance, this special day, this special time, to make his case, and they got, it sounds like, just about all the leaders from the, Rome, from the Roman synagogues to come in. And I, I was thinking about this as I prepared this sermon. You know, you spend hours preparing something like this to talk for 30 minutes or so. Um, Paul, it seems like off the cuff, it says, uh, verse 23, when they had had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. He, He, all day, just gave them truth, all day, all day, all day. Um which is just amazing. Um, and what happens when the word is preached? Some were convinced by what he said. Um, going back to the concept of missions for a second, uh, I, I personally have encountered quite a few organizations or people who say they are missionaries who are doing great things, who are doing what, what you could kind of put under this umbrella of uh, care ministries, uh, whether it's orphan care or poverty alleviation, um, but who do not preach explicitly God's word. I was in, uh, I was in uh, Costa Rica a few months ago for work, and when I was coming back in the airport, we had a, kind of a longer layover, and uh, I met a group from a, a mega church in Atlanta, actually. And it was like 40 people on a mission trip, and I, we got to talking, and I was asking them what they were doing, and they were there, 40 of them, and Costa Rica is not a, play, a cheap place to go, so I'm guessing $2,500 trip. So do the math on that, 40 people. And I asked them what they were doing, and they were there painting positive words on this one street in Costa Rica where they were allowed to paint. It wasn't even scripture. They said, you know, we, we, don't, we don't paint Bible verses because we don't want to be too, so we're just painting positive words. And I thought, in my head, I thought, you cannot call that missions. You cannot, you cannot not even speak the name of Jesus or even reference God's word and call that missions. There's no way. It's not that. Um, So I don't want to be like too much of a nerd or too much of a stickler about a word, but man, that is so far in the weeds uh, that it's sad to me. It's sad to me because those are missed opportunities. Um. In verse 28 here, uh, well, I'm sorry, in verse 25, Paul has been speaking all day, all day. He's done the best he could. He's given them all he's got, and some have believed, and a lot have not. And so he decides it's time to end the day. And so he says something that would not have been uh, very well taken by this audience, uh, but it's not untrue. He, he uses God's word to show them that their ears are closed, that their eyes are closed, 
that this Messiah has come. He's given them the evidence. The Messiah has already come, died on a cross, raised from the dead, and ascended back into heaven. And they've missed it, and they're not hearing it. And so it's time to end the discussion. Um, What I think is absolutely fascinating here, um, well, two quick things. One is... Uh, just, just so you know, if you're reading this and you get a little thrown off, there is no verse 29. So if you're, it's not a typo in your Bible. There's verse 28 and there's verse 30. Uh, 29 is not found in the earliest sources of Scripture that we have, so a lot of Bibles have removed that uh, as something that was likely added later, which is not good. Um, but then we see... Um, Something that, that just kind of kind of blew my mind last night. It's one of those things that uh, the Bible seems so simple in some ways, but then you see the design of it, and it's just mind-blowing. So Luke and Acts are kind of the same book. They're both written by Luke, right? And Luke answers in, in the Gospel of Luke the question of who is Jesus? W- what did he do? What was his life like? And then part two, the sequel, is okay, well, what about this movement that's been sweeping the Mediterranean, the church? Tell me about Jesus' church. It answers that question. Um, and, and Luke flows straight into Acts very smoothly if you jump from one right to the other. The odd thing about Acts here at the end is that there's not really an ending if you read it. It's fascinating. And uh, if you look at the end of John, it ends very clearly. If you look at any of the letters that Paul wrote, especially because they're letters, they end very clearly. All grace and peace be to you, you know, all that stuff. Acts doesn't end. It just, it ends with like, you could write something underneath it as a fake ending, and it would, it would seem to make more sense. It ends with, and Paul lived there two years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. And it just ends. Go back to the beginning of the book. You know, y- y'all have heard Acts 1-8 before. The, the beginning of Acts sets the reader up. If you read the whole thing from start to finish, chapter 1 to chapter 28, what you would be led to believe at the start of the book is this is the story about Jesus saying to his disciples, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then usually when Jesus says this is going to happen, we see in Scripture that thing happening. And we see it happening through the rest of Acts, but then it just stops. Do you know why it just stops? Because it wasn't finished. And it's not finished today. And so that's why missions is still necessary. That's why the last time I was up here, I told you guys there are 7,000 unique people groups on the planet today who still have no knowledge of Jesus. You know, we were telling the girls that last night. Like, if you've never heard his name, uh, about 3 billion people on the planet. So those people will be reached because Jesus said, you will be my witness in all these places to the end of the earth. You will be. It will happen. How is that going to happen? Um, this is what I want to say, and I, I want to be careful but clear when I say this. Um, if your passion is orphan care. That's a beautiful thing. That is a God-ordained thing. If your passion is poverty alleviation, it's clear over and over that God 
wants his people to care for the poor. Does he not? Um, widow care. There, there's all, you can keep going down the list of all these beautiful kind of care ministries. But what we need to understand is Jesus only has one bride. He only has one bride. And that bride is his church. And so last time I gave this to y'all, but what I think is the biblical definition of missions, this word that describes what was being done in Scripture that we see, is very simple. It's evangelism, discipleship, and church planting among unreached people groups. Among unreached people groups. That's what we see going on here. They're taking this message of Christ to people who have not heard it, who have no knowledge of it. They're not, Paul's not continuing to go again and again and again to people who have had the chance to hear it and to receive it or reject it. He's going to places where Jesus, is, Jesus has not yet been named. And he's, he's not doing orphan care. He's not doing widow care. He's not setting up a medical clinic. He's not building a school. He's not painting nice words on walls. Okay? But this is where I want to take you. If you're passionate about one of those things, those are, uh, uh, those are bridesmaids. Bridesmaids are great. Bridesmaids stand up next to the bride. They're close friends or family members. They're lovely. They add to the wedding. The bride is so excited that they are there. The bride has asked them to be there. The bride wants them there. But if the bride isn't there, the wedding's not happening. But here's the deal. If you love one of those bridesmaids, if that's your heart and your passion, you should adopt my biblical definition of missions. And here's why. If you want the poor to be cared for, if that's your passion, among an unreached people group, then you should have a heart and find some way to support evangelism, discipleship, and church planting among unreached people groups. Because this is so crazy, and it's hard to understand if you've never been outside of our context. Those things are not passions of people naturally. And if you think they are, you are sorely mistaken. Uh, I remember uh, we've spent a lot of time in South Asia in the past. And I remember, it might have been the first time I was there, I was reading this newspaper article that was very controversial. Okay, this is a, an almost completely Hindu nation that has their Hindu beliefs. And there was this man in this major city who was in his 30s, and he was going around, and he was helping homeless people, mentally ill people, bathe and cutting their hair. And this was extremely controversial because in Hindu beliefs, those homeless and mentally ill people are in the situation they're in because in a past life, they did something bad. And so they were reincarnated as this mentally ill homeless person, and they're paying for what they have done. And you are not to interfere with karma. So you do not go in and bathe them and cut their hair because they are paying for something they did, and you need to let that happen. Guys, we are so far removed, it seems like, at this point in our country, in our society, uh, from those Christian roots at times. But, man, we're so attached to them still. Because in every major city... In the United States, there are even completely godless, godless atheists who are bathing homeless people and cutting their hair without even realizing that that comes not from the fact that they were born really good with a desire to do that, but because we are still benefiting as a people 
from these Judeo-Christian roots, they're still lingering on. But a foundation has to be laid. Uh, my, my favorite U.S. president, he's kind of actually, maybe I'm making this up, he's kind of a Paul-like figure to me. Um, John Adams, the second president, he's between George Washington, this great, big, tall, amazing leader, and Thomas Jefferson, this other tall, powerful, amazing writer, wrote the Declaration of Independence. You got this little, short, stubby, toothless, just fiery John Adams. And John Adams, uh, Stephanie gave me this book a few years ago for Christmas. It's all the letters between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and Abigail Adams, uh, who was the smartest one of the bunch out of those three. Uh, She was a genius. Um, It's all their correspondence. It's fascinating. One of the things, i got to find it here, one of the things that John Adams said, and I think this this is such a good picture for us of of God's design. Um, He was speaking of his awareness of the fact that he was there, they were there for the birth of a nation, which is really odd. Like, we don't know when France was born or when Germany was born or when China was born. Like, we think we kind of know sort of the timeline, but not really. And they had, these guys had this, this awareness that they were there for the birth of a nation and the unique opportunities that existed because of that. And so, in thinking about this, this is what John Adams said. He said, I must study politics and war, that my sons may have liberty to study mathematics and philosophy, geography and commerce and agriculture, in order to give their children a right to study painting and poetry and music and architecture. Do you see the foundation that had to be there in order for the house to be framed in order for the the beautiful brick or stonework and slate shingles to be put on that house, you can't go and set a pallet of slate shingles down on an empty lot and expect something good to happen. So while orphan care is beautiful, while uh, all these care ministries are beautiful and God-ordained, there has to be a foundation that's laid. There has to be. Because if not, you're going to get people who see what you're doing those beautiful care ministries. But it's not going to make sense. And in some cases, like that that Hindu example I gave you, it's going to even seem wrong, like morally wrong. It was how that was viewed, as crazy as that sounds. Um, So I think that's similar to the kingdom of Christ. Like in our culture, we have where Jefferson, I'm sorry, where John Adams is talking about these layers, politics and war, so that business can happen and farming can happen and, and uh, geography studies can happen and all that. So that then, essentially what he's saying, it was his hope was that a fully formed, beautiful, rich American culture would be the result somewhere down the road. Well, we want as believers to see a fully formed, beautiful, rich Christian culture among all the peoples to the ends of the earth. We don't have Christian radio here in Monroe, Georgia, because a missionary came over here and put up a radio tower and did no other work, and we start listening to Christian music and saying, oh, okay, well, I'm going to adopt that worldview. No, it's the outflow of the foundation being laid, the house being built, and then those slate shingles being put on the roof, the pretty things. So my hope is that we as a church... 
will focus on that. Now, again, if your heart is for those care ministries, you're of use. You're absolutely of use. To, to give a, maybe an imperfect analogy, an aircraft carrier might have a dozen fighter pilots on that gigantic aircraft carrier, and there are hundreds of other people working that aircraft carrier, keeping the food cooked, keeping things clean, uh, mechanics fixing things. The chain of command, there's all these hundreds of people and there's only maybe a dozen or so fighter pilots that are going and actually engaging in the battle, engaging in that mission. So for most of us, or for many of us, we're going to be in a similar role. Um, So I want to end with this. I want to end with a few challenges for y'all. One thing really quick, I will never encourage y'all to do this, but if everybody will take their phones out. Really quick, I want y'all to look up something because I, I'm, I'm begging you to talk about these things with your family uh, for five minutes today at some point, over lunch or after lunch or whatever. Um, I want you to go to, to a website called peoplegroups.info. Peoplegroups.info is the web address. That is a website that has populated uh, as much information as we have about the people groups on the planet all across the world, and their status. You're going to see on a map that you can click on uh, on that website, there's green dots that are really Christian people. There's yellow dots of people who are kind of, you know, there's, there's a decent number of Christians, but not a whole lot. And then there's red dots that represent people groups that uh, have very little to no Christian witness among them. Many of those might not even have a single missionary working among them. Um, and I talked to Jeff some about this. I I would love it if in 2022, we have all year, if we could, as a church, pray about, discuss, learn together, figure out what we're going to do as a church in missions. Is it uh, just simply being united and going deeper with the Currys? George, you just prayed for them. They're They're in Liberia. Africa, 20 to 30 years from now, is going to be, if things continue the way they are, the center of global Christianity. They need good sound doctrine right now while they're on that trajectory so that they can do sound missions and continue to reach the rest of the world around them. So it might be that our church unites and goes deeper with the Currys. It might be that we seek out a new partnership. Um, It seemed like there was a lot of interest the last time I was up here uh, of the, the possibility of our church finding an unreached people group that does not have scripture in their language. That's a long process. That's a 10 year process at least. Um, partnering with a missionary who's engaging that unreached people group and funding and praying for and encouraging the translation of Scripture for that people group. How exciting would that be? That would not be a short-term thing, though. Um, so that's challenge number one. Look at, look at that website with your family. Do some research. Start to look at, see if God starts to lead you to any particular unreached people group that we as a church might consider going after. Uh, and we can take this year to, to seek God and figuring some of those things out. Um, second, would you engage, would you consider engaging in a month-long devotional with me? There's a book called Gospel Meditations for Missions. It's a 30-day brief, just one-page devotional that if we did this, it would, I think, cause our church to really think and think well about missions. Um, they're like $4 per book. If you want one, I will get it for you. Just come up to me after the service or reach out to me um, at some point, 
and let me know you want it, and I'll, I'll keep a tally going, and I'll put an order in. Um, and finally, um, what is the last thing there today? Um, would you pray about this? Would you pray about this? So look, do some research about those unreached people groups. Do this devotional with me, uh, this brief little month-long devotional with me that will cause us to think more about missions and pray that God would lead our church uh, here at, at this young age of our church to start us with a culture that is biblical, healthy missions from the very onset. What a unique opportunity, guys. We're, we're there at the beginning. What a beautiful thing. Um, as Jeff always says, I want to echo him, uh, I, I love talking about this stuff if you can't tell. Um, I just blabbed incessantly for 30 minutes about it like that. It felt like, uh, from my perspective, I can talk about this stuff all day. I won't do that to you unless you want me to. But if you have questions, if you have thoughts, if some of this isn't clear, if you disagree with it, I'm, that is fine. I would love to talk with you more about it. I'm available uh, anytime. If you don't have my contact info, come up and, and uh, I'll give it to you. Um, let's pray, and then we're going to uh, enjoy communion together. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, your examples that you've given us. Uh, and not leaving us to our own guesses as to what we should do with our lives, as what we should do in ministry. Um, but you've given us this whole big word uh, with all these examples that we can pull from and, and apply to what we do, knowing that uh, you have designed things intentionally and that those designs are, are incredible. God, please give our church clarity. Please give our church wisdom. Please ignite our hearts for uh, being a part of your mission. And uh, God, if you would allow us to see people come to faith in you and, and churches planted, uh, how exciting that would be, Lord. So we ask for that. Um, give us that direction, God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.